0: In today's episode featuring Lenny and Fei lynn you might hear something like this.
1: Hey, you want to know why my brain doesn't work right? If you text K out there, how dare you?
0: I thought we weren't using the word crazy.
1: Light it on fire. Watch it burn. We're reclaiming crazy. During a manic, I was like, rage. I hate you, don't leave me.
0: Who came up with this list?
1: Giving them the burn. Oh, I love 7-Eleven. My childhood. Should I sit on this couch and recline? You're reacting to literally everything. You're borderline. But I love Friends. I'm Monica Geller, and I hate it, but I've accepted it. Album coming soon, everybody. I'm my Hi, and welcome to My Side of Crazy. My name is Shelby Tweeten.
2: And I'm Phelan Villado.
1: And we have a
2: show for you Lenny. today. Lenny, you're
1: supposed to introduce yourself. I didn't
0: know that I was supposed to introduce myself wow. there. I'm sorry. Okay. But I'm on yeah. the mic today. So
1: we are on the mics today. So last episode, we talked about everything. Everything. Um, but we did lead into at the very end what we're going to talk about on this episode, and that is what is the stereotype of what crazy looks like? What is borderline, our childhoods, how me and Faye met, and then leading into the stereotypes, making it hard for us to be diagnosed. First,
2: I think we should talk about what borderline personality disorder is, considering that is uh, one of our, well, we've both been diagnosed with it. Right. (laughs) Um, So, Um, According to the National Alliance of Mental Illness, borderline personality disorder is a condition characterized by difficulties regulating emotion, which honestly is like the most accurate way I've read it put Yeah, um, because I don't feel like that's ever how it's characterized. Um, And then so there are nine criteria for you to get diagnosed. Um, You have to fit five of them. Pretty sure I fit all of, of these.
0: <laughs> Wait a second, five out of nine. Yeah, five out of nine. You have okay. to hit. And so, if you don't hit those, what? what then you that don't mean? have it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. See, I don't know these things. Yeah. I
2: mean that. Just sounds mean.
1: then you don't have it. Guy, <laughs> you can't sit what? with us. But honestly, like. Even when I was diagnosed, it was like, holy shit, I have all nine.
0: Who came up with this list?
2: There's the DSM-5, which is the American Psychiatric Association's Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, which I'm not going to read their criteria. I'm going to read a slightly like less verbose way to put all of these because those are just, I feel like they use terminology that might be uh, confusing. Um, but yeah, so there are all of these things. I do feel like a lot of people experience a lot of these things outside of borderline. Yeah. Um, which also I think makes it hard to figure out what you have if you have it, but anyway.
0: Yeah, what are these nine?
2: So the first one is frantic efforts to avoid real or perceived abandonment. So if you're being abandoned... You do Frantic? everything. Yeah, like um desperate attempts okay. to so like, oh, a great example actually. The other day I woke up and my husband was leaving our home and I or I thought he left without saying goodbye to me. And I was like half asleep. And I woke up and I ran to the door and I was like, Giovanni. And then I realized he had already left hours ago. And I was like, wow, there's some deep-seated abandonment problems there. The yeah. fact that I like woke up, forgot he had already left, and was like, No, wait. So there's an example. Yeah. Also, if you think people are abandoning you. So I I've have friends that I think shit. like have this and it's like, hey, look, I, you know, have this issue in our friendship and they're like, why are you leaving me? And it's like, I'm not, I'm just telling you that I have these issues, uh, you know, that we should work through some of these things and they think that I'm just like leaving them.
1: Yeah. Whereas I've done some things where it's like, I'm in an argument with someone and they're like, I need to step away. And I'm like, so you're leaving and you're never coming back, so I might lock them in my room. <laughs> so I'm not gonna let them leave yeah. me.
2: If somebody didn't respond to me like uh, before I you know really got help for this, I would be like, or didn't text for a long period of time, I'd be like, oh my God, they they hate me now and they're leaving and they're never coming back. Like my, my boyfriend, my husband, whatever, like they're done with me. When there's like no context or reason to think that. So that's what that means, where it's like perceived abandonment. It's not real, it's in my mind. Right so frantic efforts to avoid real or perceived abandonment number really 2 really um unstable uh, relationships that alternate between um idealization like i you know i love you and devaluation um i hate you and it's also sometimes called uh, splitting so it's like borderline's splitting. are very very known for black and white thinking where it's like either this person is the best person i've ever met in my life or they're the worst and there's no kind of like in between
1: no gray area yeah.
2: at all um, that's the best way that I can explain it. There's a book called I Hate You Don't Leave Me that I feel like mm. that title is perfectly borderline. Um so Is this re- a book that you would
0: recommend to people? Yeah, yes, absolutely.
2: If you, you, you have to. Know somebody that's borderline, you think you might have it. I think it's um
1: I've bought it for my mom, I bought it for a boyfriend, you know. It's a real stocking stuff. Yeah, it's definitely <laughs> Hey, you wanna know why my brain doesn't work right? Read this <laughs> book. There <laughs> you go. <laughs>
2: Wait, what was the name of the book again? I hate you. Don't leave me.
1: Which is also, I feel like, a great name for cats. Literally, that's unrelated. Splitting is. I talked about it uh, briefly last episode, but splitting is why I ended up creating another version of myself in my head to disassociate and to have no empathy, because it's basically a coping mechanism where it's like I either love you, but then I put all my effort. Yeah. Then and they're on a pedestal. Emotion. Yep. Or it's like, I have absolutely no feeling for you, so you're not going to affect my mental state at all. Right,
2: when the healthy thing is for most people, like you can acknowledge people in their wholeness, like they're neither good nor bad fully, like we all have flaws, we all have good things, and that's a normal healthy way to look at a person, not like you are perfect, you are my everything, or you are shit, it's (laughs) you are a lot of things, and that is okay, which I think that's, I, I struggled very much with like, Extreme kind of black and white thinking, which is not normal.
1: Right. Number,
2: Number three, three. <laughs> uh, unstable or distorted shifting identity and self image, uh, which affects moods, values, opinions, goals, and relationships. So basically, yeah, your own self image that's um, kind of constantly shifting. And you know, you're either mine was not always very, mine was typically not great. I think
0: both of you said you have all you show symptoms of all nine of these. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so how does this one relate to either of you?
1: I mean, this again comes back to the splitting, like I didn't even know who I was. Yeah, I felt like I Mm. didn't know who I, yeah, was as a
2: person and like this weird thing where you look in the mirror and you're like, who is that? Yeah. Would
0: something happen then to catapult you into a different thought of you being somebody else?
2: yeah I never thought I was like somebody else, but it was like I never knew who I was like I knew I was failing, but I didn't know what that meant if Where that makes sense like most people like yeah. at the end of the day, they know they have themselves, no matter what bad things happen to them or whatever and I never felt that. I never knew I could count on myself my self esteem was not high, and my self image there are a few things that i I held to be true you know i'm I'm a good actor, I'm funny, I'm whatever, but I never really like really my identity kind of shifted depending on like how much validation i got that day or right. if that makes sense mm-hmm. you know how much i was seen or
1: you know stuff like that where i had i literally had a complete other illusion of myself like i legitimately had a whole separate ver- version of myself in my head that i started being like am i more like her or am i more like this person Am I a sociopath? Mm-hmm. Do I hate everyone? Do I want to, you know, hurt people and do this, or am I who everybody else sees, where it's like this caring, right. empathetic person? And so that was really hard for me because, like she said, I was looking in the mirror and I saw the evil version of myself. so it was hard, and I'm like trying to explain to people I'm like, no, I'm evil, and they're like, well, you don't you shouldn't need to tell me that if that's right. what you are. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I always felt like I never really, my insides never matched my outsides and vice versa. Like everything was always kind of like, I don't know, Pangea of myself, like, I guess more rapid. This is a stupid analogy, but you know, like everything was just kind of always moving around for me. Does that make sense? It
1: does. Great.
2: Okay, so number four is impulsive and self-destructive behaviors that can have dangerous outcomes such as excessive spending, unsafe sex, substance abuse, reckless driving. Um, oh, I feel this one in every... Great part of, my, part of my soul. <laughs> Great
1: times.
2: Which for me, I did this like, you know... Every day. ...as a way to distract, a way to feel high, to feel alive. Maybe like obviously now I'm like, oh, it was a way to mask like all of the pain I was in all the time. Yeah.
1: Mine was definitely, I just couldn't feel anything and I needed those to make me feel something. So I felt everything. Right. And I wanted to feel something not so terrible. It also, which we'll get into, a lot of these, and a big issue with being misdiagnosed is a lot of these also go hand in hand with other mental illnesses. Mm -hmm. This is a big thing with mania in bipolar, Mm -hmm. which I also have. So, (laughs) What a fun little melting pot we are. (laughs) I used to go off my meds, and every time I would go off my meds, I'd get in a car accident. Oh my god, that's scary. So... What? Yeah. Like, I don't, I just, I used to get in one every time I would get really
2: emotional. So I stopped driving when I was emotional because yeah. I would uh, run into things.
1: Like, one time I rolled my car and my mom showed up on the scene. She didn't even, she wasn't even like, I'm so glad you guys are okay. She's like, you stop taking your medication oh my in front of the cops. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, mom, please, please stop. I know you stopped taking your medication. Tell me, tell me right now. Like, well, I thought no, I was doing please. better. That's that's
2: crazy. But yeah.
0: I thought we weren't using the word crazy. No, we're, we're reclaiming re- crazy. we oh, are reclaiming. Okay. <laughs>
2: I mean, we're all
1: a little crazy. Yeah, crazy is a fun word. Uh, five, self-harming
2: behavior, including suicidal attempts or threats.
1: I think this one's kind that's of self-explanatory. Pretty, pretty...
0: What's number six?
2: Number six is extreme emotional mood swings. I never knew why I was like super high, super low lows, like- felt everything in such extremes and and like would react in ways that i was like why am i reacting like this
1: and again it's it's noted it's different than bipolar mood swings where that is a chemical imbalance in your brain this is like they was saying you're reacting to literally everything to an extreme so it's it's so
2: fast like you could go from i know you in bipolar you have like rapid cycling where it could be like you go from happy or sad like very quickly but this is very quickly yeah like i would leave work happy and all of a sudden i'm bawling and be like what and not have enough self-awareness to understand all of the vulnerabilities that led me to that place
1: yeah. or someone texts you k and all of a sudden <gasps> it's like rage. i can't even that's a whole rage.
2: other episode how dare you bring k into this <laughs> if you text k out there how dare you because it's wrong it's wrong also, I've done it. Right. Me too. Um, great. Uh, was it because
0: you were angry at something, so you just texted K? Did you purposely text K? See, um, no, thing. at some
2: point I, da- I dated somebody that like that was our, like it was funny, like where it was like K and it's like, oh, you k me? Lol. You know, but um, if I'm mad, yeah, I'll write. I try not to be passive aggressive like that. I usually just like say how I'm feeling now, but I've done it in the past. Yeah.
1: yeah.
2: I try not to be like, Okay. <laughs>
0: Just well, like that. Th- those are M's in there. They're M's Okay, in there. you know, Mm-kay. Lenny. Okay.
2: Okay. Okay, Lenny. Oh, Number seven, K. chronic feelings of boredom and emptiness.
1: Dun, dun, dun.
2: I feel like this one is super tied to the impulse stuff. Like for me, all of that was just trying to fill like the boredom. Yeah, and like the void that I didn't really fully understand.
1: And the shifting identity. They all kind of go hand in hand.
2: Like I never felt like a whole person and it was like always an attempt to fill those things.
1: And I definitely think the boredom is a lot of borderlines tend to start chaos because they thrive on it.
2: I always said- there was a period of time where I was like I just want to light my life on fire. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I did. I was like I'm going to take a match and I'm just going to destroy everything. And it's I like did. what can and I self-destruct it. today? Yeah, because it's like there was always some kind of chaos in my life and now looking back I'm like oh my god that was so painful. Right. <laughs> like cuz stability was you know I was so afraid to be like boring or ordinary or have stability and I would just be like light it on fire. Mm-hmm. Watch it burn. <laughs> That's my my villain voice.
1: Number 8 inappropriate intense. I love that you she just pointed for me to read this I've been one because all of them. But this is me. Like that's why it's funny. That's oh, this. Well, oh that
2: was not intentional.
1: Inappropriate, intense, and uncontrollable anger, often followed by shame and guilt. This one is the most that I've struggled with personally because I feel like I never wanted to be viewed as sad. I didn't want to be the sad girl, so I was like. I'm just going to have rage. be the mad girl. Yeah, I'm going to have rage. And I think that, I mean, anger is definitely a masking emotion.
2: Oh, yeah. It's never just anger. It's hurt. It's, it's right. everything else. Yeah. Which
1: is why it's followed by shame and guilt. I know there's so many times I would just like go psychotic. And I had an issue with violence towards other people when I was younger. Then all of a sudden I'm like crying and I'm just like, I'm so sorry that I put you through that. Like. I'm a piece of shit, all this stuff. But it's like you can't help it It and just fucking angry out, out of nowhere. That was one of the biggest things that I've had to work on personally.
2: Yeah, I mean, I definitely struggle with it too. And I didn't realize – I was never really like allowed to get angry as a kid. Like it wasn't something that you express. Like I'm from the South and it's like you don't – like ladies don't get mad. You know, like right. you just like you don't express anger. And I remember getting to college – and my teacher was like, I went to theater school, sorry. Um, my, my teacher was like, oh, get mad. And I was just confused. What? And I got so mad that I was like crying. And, and then after that, like once you kind of break that open, I just, my anger was displaced. And I would always, I always get mad at like small things. It's never like big life things that I get upset about. It's like that person that cuts me off in traffic. And I have a reaction that is just so not justified like it's always something so small. And I'm like, wow, how dare you? And it just, it made me want to like cut their faces off right. and wear it as a
1: mask. And that's not normal, right. I don't think. And I think big things.
0: I would say no. It. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. I have never once thought I'm going to cut somebody's face I'm off. I'm not
1: going to do it. And
0: wear it as a mask. Uh,
1: yeah. I might. But like,
2: I'm, and then I'm like, oh my God, I'm so yeah. ashamed that that's, that's something in me, but I'm also like, I'm like weirdly empowered by it, which weirds me out too, yes. where I'm like, I like this part of myself. And mm. it's, it's all very confusing.
1: Number nine. This is kind of brings them all together, which is disassociative feelings, disconnecting from your thoughts or a sense of ability, sense of identity or out of body type of feelings which is stress-related paranoid thoughts.
2: So it's kind of like uh, what you were describing earlier, which I, I did this, I think I was so stressed out after moving one time that I, like I felt like I was watching myself from like above like yeah. live my life. It was the weirdest out-of-body experience.
1: How I describe it is I have a glass room in the back of my head.
2: Oh, no, it's some black mirror shit right here. Yeah,
1: I have a glass room in the back of my head and the other version of myself is in there. If I start feeling just a little bit of anxiety, she just is pacing in the back of the room. And then when she feels me getting weaker and weaker, she starts tapping on the glass. And then all of a sudden it's like, Poof! and she takes me into the glass room and now she's taking over my body. And now this
2: literally is an episode of Black Mirror. Yeah, <laughs> it is. I've seen I feel it like I should exists. write a script. <laughs> That's terrifying. I don't know that I've experienced something quite that uh, terrifying. Um, <laughs> Mine has been, I think, a lesser level. That's very scary.
1: Yeah. And that was like an everyday occurrence. I have like three poems written about it because it was always happening.
2: Um, Yeah. So that's borderline. Like uh, those are the nine criteria.
0: Should we recap all nine then?
2: All right. Recap frantic efforts to avoid real or perceived abandonment. Two, unstable relationships. Three, unstable distorted self image.
1: Four, impulsive and self-destructive behaviors that can have dangerous outcomes such as excessive spending, unsafe sex, substance abuse, or reckless driving. Five, self-harming behavior including suicidal attempts or threats. Six, extreme emotional mood swings. Seven, chronic feelings of boredom and emptiness.
2: Um, Eight, inappropriate, intense, and uncontrollable anger. And nine, together now. Dissociative feelings.
1: feelings.
0: I thought you guys were gonna sing that last one.
1: Dissociative feelings.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Album coming soon, everybody. Uh, So, what was your first recollection of someone saying, "Hey, have you gone through this list?" You you know what I'm saying? Like, do you know what I'm asking? It's more
1: the the therapist is super nonchalant. She doesn't want you to think that that's what, especially for people like me and Faye, where we're very self-aware, we know a lot of psychology terms. So it was more she was asking things in um very nonchalant manner, where she's like, oh, um, do you ever self-harm in any way? doesn't necessarily mean cutting or, you know, threatening suicide, just any form of self-harm. It's like, do you go on spending sprees? Do you feel like you... Have sex with people you shouldn't? Do you feel like you know exactly who you are at all times? Like basically asking the questions, but also it seems like she's kind of just making conversation and then she's noting it all. And then at the end she's like, You have borderline. Oh see, my experience was nothing like that. Really? No. I was in
0: Hold one, one second. How old were you, Shelby?
1: I'm twenty six. No,
0: how old were you when you found this I out? Diagnosed. Oh. Yeah.
1: I was 21. Okay. Yeah. So
0: and about you five, were about 5 years ago. I don't want to say my age. But mine was a was older.
2: mine was a year ago. Yeah.
0: Mm, okay.
2: But that's also i had had like uh like anxiety and depression really like since I was like 16 and been in like you know, like traditional therapy and on and off depressed antidepressants for um like 10 years and then when I moved out here, I just I don't know, I don't think I ever realized it cuz you know, I'm an actor and like I have a lot of emotions and I'm like trained to be sensitive and feel everything, you know? It's like I don't think I really like knew and then I don't like I just I kept making the same mistakes and like the same patterns and creating chaos and I just like I couldn't be happy in any capacity.
1: And that's key because people need to know You can go to a psych and they can diagnose you bipolar right then, but borderline has to be like repeated situations. So that's why it takes so long to get diagnosed because they have to make sure that it's not you're just going through something Mm -hmm. at that specific time. It needs to be years of proven destructive behavior.
2: And like when I was, I think 20, something around there, like um, a, a, a different therapist many, many years ago was like, I think you're bipolar. and I talked to my mom about it and we were both like, that doesn't really fit because I don't have mania. Right. Um, I've never really felt that. So that didn't seem like it it fit me at all, you know? Yeah. So I was just like, okay, like I'm depressed, but nothing ever helped. Um, And I was with this one therapist for many, many, many years. And I started watching um, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, which is a show about Borderline. Mm -hmm. And I think – I don't know. just starting like researching all of the things I was feeling. So through that and through watching this show and through a conversation that we had, which I know we'll like talk about is mm-hmm. how I figured out, Hey, I think I might have this. And my therapist was like, Oh yeah, you definitely fit the criteria, but I don't diagnose you because you don't have, um, because you have so much self-awareness. And I was like, that is almost worse because then, you know, you're in a cage and you have no way out almost like, there's such a stigma with it that even therapists don't want to burden you with that diagnosis. And I was just like, "No. Then send me somewhere. Yeah. I need exactly. to know what I have so I know how to fix it."
0: Yeah. So how did then how then did you find out?
2: So, she gave me an um a name of a couple places. The only treatment really that is like proven to help with borderline is called DBT. It's called uh, dialectical behavioral therapy, which I know we're going to talk about in another episode. Um and there are various places in Los Angeles that- um, Can you give us a brief? For that, what DBT is? Yes. Um Yeah, so it's a type of cognitive behavioral therapy. And instead of just like talk therapy, uh DBT is kind of a very, um it was like for me, it was six months of a group once a week and individual therapy once a week. You have like a workbook and it's basically, they're actually starting to do it in um, elementary schools in Ireland, which I think is really amazing because it's just like every person needs this. And it to me is the best way I can describe it is like, Rewiring how you think about yourself and other people. You're learning in, um, effective communication skills and distress tolerance and emotional regulation, which is all things that come from borderline. We just we don't have the tools to kind of like monitor all of our yeah, impulses.
1: You're basically, you're basically relearning how to be a person. How to be a person.
2: Yeah, and it changed to me like every. The way I think is so different than how I used to think, thank God. But I called, she gave me the name and I was like, "Eh." and then my life continued to get worse. And six months later, I was like, either I have to call and like start this or I don't know how much longer I can live like this. Like I'm going to make my life worse or I'm, I, I don't, I didn't know what I would do at that point. Like to me, there was just, I was in so much pain that. I, I really didn't have a choice. I was like, I have to get help. Yeah.
0: And we're saying, not physical pain. No,
2: I was in so much, I, I don't even know how to describe it. Like I just, everything hurt, like emotionally, like I just was in so much pain and I just did not want to be alive anymore. So I went to this place and I got a diagnosis and I started treatment shortly thereafter. I
1: know for me, I had been di- Well, I had been in therapy since I was eight. And then in when I was about 13 is when I started the suicidal thoughts and I basically was labeled the sad girl in school and I mean we're diving into this whole subject but basically was everyone's like you're pretty you you know you're in a lot of sports you're in dance like there's no way that you can be depressed meanwhile I'm like busting down in tears randomly at school and then they diagnosed me with depression and they put me on antidepressants and they weren't working so they started upping my meds upping my meds and so I would go off because technically I'm bipolar so when you're on an antidepressant it's it's an upper so when you're bipolar if you go into mania and you're on an antidepressant all of a sudden you're getting blasted upwards and that's why I started getting in car accidents And I ended up having a manic episode where I was running up and down the street, taking my clothes off, slamming my head into walls, threatening to kill myself. And they were like, you have bipolar. Mm. Well, then I got on medication and I, you know, fixed my life after years of being on medication. Um, But then it still was not right. Like my mood swings were under control. My life was under control. But I still was having this other version of myself. And it basically was like, I couldn't go outside without wanting to hurt someone. Mm-hmm. And it was like you said, like, I turned around and I realized my whole world was about to fucking explode. Oh, yeah. And it wasn't until my manager at Hooters mm-hmm. pulled me into the office and was like, you know, I care about you and I don't want to have to fire you. But the girls are now like afraid of you (laughs) because of, right.
0: Was this recently?
1: No, this was, this was when I was 21.
0: Was this, you were here in Los Angeles?
1: 2015. This is what i
0: ah The the year. The
1: year. Oh, is that your bad year? That's my bad year. The year. Yeah. So he basically was like, you need to get in therapy. Otherwise we're going to be forced to fire you. So that was the therapist that I got into that finally was like, you're borderline. And then everything changed.
2: And what a relief, right? I mean, for me, it was like, and we've talked about this. I've, I was giddy. Oh, yeah. No, I was like, oh, my God, there's a reason I'm not alone. It don't make sense. There's a reason that I want to, like, rip my skin off and just, like, hide. <laughs> yeah. Shelby helped me kind of put a lot of the um, dots together as far as, like, being borderline. Because you met me – I met you, like, six months before I got my diagnosis, I think, mm-hmm. right when I was, like, kind of in hell. Yeah. Um, and you drove me home and we were – I don't know how we got, like, on the subject or whatever, but you –
1: Yeah, I don't know.
2: But I was, like, describing all this stuff and and what really, really – I remember what's what, – the moment I was like, oh, my God, like, I think I definitely am borderline because I had, like, thought – thought it before yeah. and I had described it as like being in the sunken place I mean you know in a mental health way where it was uh and that's I read your blog and you had used like the, the exact same phrase to describe what it felt like and I was like oh my god we have the same thing yeah well the
0: sunken place is a reference to get out. Get, out. get out
2: right which in no way like am I claiming to you know mean it in a <laughs> Racial, yeah. or you know, like no. I'm not claiming to know that experience. For me, what that meant was um, oh, no, I don't, I didn't take that. I, I, well, just
0: just being a brown person I to be just, just just to <laughs> be
2: like I don't want I anybody to that. misconstrue what I mean. It just it was like somebody else was, um, what we talked about the dissociative kind of like somebody else was kind of driving the train, and right. I was just
1: like could not. uh It was crazy because when she said it, I was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, wait, and I pulled up my website and i was like look at this look at this and she was like oh my gosh and then i was like okay i'm gonna give you my website you know read it let me know if you relate to it she texted me that night and was like holy yeah, shit i think
2: it, all of it was so emotional because it's like you know you think you know i have some really great friends and you you know you talk about it with people but you feel it, alone. unless you're in it like you don't really get it because it's a very strange um series of things that you're feeling where you're like, I feel like I don't know who I am and I want to rip my face off and light my life on fire and people are like, "Mm, bye. (laughs) You're like, "Mm -hmm." and that's when I exit. And good night. Um yeah. And it was just like a really uh I don't know we talked a lot about too which you know we had such different we touched on it last time, like such different uh childhoods and and
1: Yeah, go into go into your childhood. Yeah, like
2: upbringings.
1: My childhood. Should I sit on this couch and
2: recline? This couch that doesn't exist. <laughs>
0: Let's dive into your childhood. Let's
2: dive into my childhood. There are a lot of things that I want to say, but like, uh, what am I going to say? Where did I even write this?
0: Yeah, you have all these notes in front of you, I do. Well, I, I
2: have so many things to say, and I, I wanted to it's remember funny. them.
0: I should say that Phelan hilariously has, I don't know, dozens of pieces of paper in front of her for notes, and yet writes on her hand as soon as she but, needs to remember I something.
1: It's another perfect example of us being polar opposites. I'm she's so concerned. type A. It's really, really not. I come in, she's like, I have a packet for you. I'm like, okay. <laughs> it's funny because it's true. I
2: was going to be like, I hate myself, but I don't. So like, I'm not going to say that.
1: Good. Um.
2: Okay. So childhood. Uh. Yeah. Oh, one of the things Shelby and I talked about in the car that night when I figured it out was I never felt like I had the, the most people who have borderline come from abuse sexual abuse um emotional abuse like some form of and that was not my experience growing up so i was always like how did i get here um i didn't feel like i had the right to claim that i didn't have the right to claim like trauma that word has always made me like kind of (laughs) i'm blinking a lot like just i'm like i don't you know like trauma is such a big word i'm like i don't have trauma that's unfair how did i get here um so yeah, like when I was when I was growing up, I was all you know I had a really good childhood. I was like you know southern and privileged and ed- educated and and had a very you know idyllic childhood for all intents and purposes. And but like from a very young age, like I would dream of like <laughs> I'm laughing because it's just so sad. Like poor baby Phelan. I would dream about like murder and like my parents being murdered and um, like being dismembered and like fires and natural disasters and just death. Like a, and like kidnappings, I wouldn't even like ride my bike down my driveway because I was like going to get kidnapped. So says a lot about me as a person and my love for true crime. Um, Like I was so scared of people leaving me, which I think was I had some people die early on in my life.
0: Do you know where this came from?
2: <laughs> past life drama. I, right. don't, I have no, I think it was honestly, no. Did, did I, you say past life yeah, trauma? Yes, that, that is a thing people think sometimes. Um, I personally think that it was from Um, my mother had some very traumatic things happen in her life. And I think that kids pick up, kids pick up on, I think she was so scared to have people in her life die or leave her that I picked up on that unknowingly. And it was, and my dad also was, was very much like kind of programmed us to be like, did you lock the door? Did you check the stove? Is the door locked? Is the door locked? Is the alarm on? Is the door locked? Like everything was just very, I mean, I'm still like that, you know, paranoid. So I think a series of things kind of built that into me and I got really bad OCD as a kid like I was washing my hands until my knuckles bled and I did these weird little gestures and like repeated thoughts like oh if I my socks get wrinkly like my parents will die like weird OCD things yeah and my mom was like, baby, you have to stop that. Like, I just, she just, it, you have to stop. It's just bad, you know? And I like wheeled myself out of it. Like, I think they thought I was going to have to be like, you know, taken away somewhere, but I just stopped. I mean, all kind of stay, but I stopped doing like the outside stuff. Right. So then it just turned into like bad anxiety and <laughs> depression. And then in high school, I just got like, I always got like really good grades and I was like, kind of like perfect. I mean, I'm, you know, obviously not a perfect person, but like I was, like I was like, present of everything and, like, had really good grades and was, you know, an athlete and in plays and just, I I not, a lot of this manifested in college and I just had such bad problems in romantic relationships and was never happy and people are always, like, it's because you haven't found the right person, but it was just, I always felt like there was something wrong because I would just, like, destroy things in my life, like, relationships, romantic relationships or make choices I knew I shouldn't have made and just it was playing like whack-a-mole with my impulses, if that makes sense. It's like one would pop up and I would smack it down and then like another one would pop up and um yeah, I just I like cheated on basically every partner I ever had and I was like, I think there's something here yeah. that is like deeper than what I know because that doesn't align with who I am as a person in any way. And I mm-hmm. felt like there was like in a like Something that was some void that I was missing, or something. It's the
1: perfect example of.
0: It's one of the one of the nine, isn't it?
1: Yes. Yep. Yeah, but what does crazy look like? She's saying, you know, from the outsider's perspective, I'm perfect. I'm, I have great grades. My family life's perfect. I'm in, you know, all these different activities, but internally she's dealing with all this stuff, and that's a big reason why it took so long to get diagnosed because. She's super self-aware, she's on top of her shit, she's type A personality, she's organized. There's no way she could be diagnosed borderline. Right. And that's when it all comes back to what does crazy look like? So we have the opposite spectrum, which is me. I mean, it doesn't get more opposite, really. I grew up in a very violent home, a very angry home. Anger was more of how we showed love. So it was like, it was the opposite of Faye, where in in my life, Fighting and violence and all of that was—we're fighting for each other's love. Like we're showing each other love. And I um, have never met my real dad, but my dad who adopted me is amazing, and he never made me feel like I wasn't his. But there was always these little comments that they were making because my biological father is diagnosed narcissistic schizophrenic. So they would always make these little comments where they're like, "Oh, you're crazy like John." I have a diary entry from fourth grade where I'm like, everyone says that I'm going to have mental illness. And now I think I'm depressed because I want to die. If if people are telling you you're crazy from little on, yeah, it was like I started finding identity in it. And then at home, I'm dealing with all of this chaos and all of this violence. And it was the same thing. My mom had a lot of uh, trauma that she wasn't dealing with that she was projecting onto me. Mm-hmm. And Over time, it just was like, then I was bringing it into school and I'm sad and I'm trying to talk to boys and tell them that I want to kill myself so that they'll talk to me. (laughs) I know, right? And what's crazy is like at the time, I knew that there was like a lot wrong with me, but since I had found so much identity in it, it was just like, well, this is who I am and there's no way I can change it. And that's why like I started being so open about it that some people were like, okay, well this is clearly for attention. Like you there's no reason that you should be talking about it this much unless it's for attention. And I'm like, I'm trying to help other people. I'm trying to bring awareness to you guys.
0: Did people come to you and say things like that?
1: Yeah. Well Or
0: around it, you at least to where you could
1: So first it started with um Facebook came out and people were making statuses like Oh, you should overdose on your depression pills. What? Yeah, no, I had a very... Uh, people are so... Pause
0: moved. for a second. People were posting that on your...
1: On um, Yeah, on Facebook, on my page. That is... Um, and- people were like spitting on me in the halls, throwing things at me. Uh, they would call me every weekend, prank call me, and be like... Oh, are you gonna kill yourself this weekend? Like the fact that you were sitting here and you're you is remarkable. Also, yes,
0: absolutely. That is anyone that
1: knows me now is like, wait, no, that's more than any person should have to endure. Ever have
0: to endure? Yeah, yeah.
1: So then, um, when I got into high school, I ended up getting with this guy who he had also had a very abusive childhood. He also had a lot of chaos. I was like, oh, finally, you know, someone I connect to. And then he got really violent and, like, sexually abusive, emotionally abusive. But at the same time, I'm thinking, oh, this is normal. Like, he loves me. He's showing me that he loves me. And um, it was just now his go-to argument was, well, you're crazy. No one else is going to love you. That is textbook. If anybody's in a relationship like that, run because it's not true. It's not true.
2: Facts.
0: It's textbook.
2: Instead. It's textbook manipulation and okay. abuse. That is, that, is the, that is one of the things that, it, that is emotional abuse. Yeah. People being like, well, nobody's ever going to, they're
1: gaslighting you. And what's crazy is like, he would, he would do that as he's hitting me. So like. Right. And then mm- it's your fault. Right. And then I'm thinking, okay, well, clearly I'm deserving to be hit right now because I'm being crazy.
0: How, how old are you again at this point?
1: Uh 17. That's, that's 16 December. it's just so crazy to me that
2: my brain also works the same way obviously like my my experiences were not uh, you know that but my brain is always i'm always like oh well, i deserve bad things right. i'm a bad person um i deserve to die always stuff like that which is like which i didn't say like my my childhood was i think just like emotionally invalidating i had issues with like one family member who was like very very verbally abusive to me mm-hmm. and was like you're fat you're ugly you're disgusting. You know,
1: well, and you have your mom being like, You can't be angry, you can't be sad. Well, she never said this. that. Like, my mom was so loving and so supportive. I just think it's
2: a southern thing that's like, Why are you upset? And it's like, I'm not upset, I'm just passionate. Like, that's very emotionally invalidating. Yeah. Where it's like, Wow, you don't even see me or or perceive my emotions me. correctly. So yeah. I think that that all uh, for me was it's, like,
0: Is that like debutante? Like, the uh, which I uh, was. I was a debutante. What's the what's the, <laughs> what's the <laughs> The pat pageant, that's the word yeah, for like yeah. pageant girls. Yeah, like that's yeah. like a the Southern kind of yeah. way that they carry themselves. Is like,
2: I wasn't, like I was weird and like myself, but it's so it's very strange to me that I thought like, I don't know, I just felt it's like- It's in the air though. Now like, I, yeah, what, yeah, I think that I just, I kept everything in so much that, yeah, and, and everything was kind of, sorry, I like totally interrupted you.
1: I just everything I Everything yeah. was
2: my fault and there was so much guilt and shame in everything. And it's just crazy to me that like, our experiences could be very, very different, and the thinking aligns, yeah, yeah it know. is it's
1: definitely
0: how did you get out of <clears throat> this the relationship relationship? and didn't you did you recognize even at sixteen or seventeen that outside of it being bad, that both yourself and this person had problems that are deeper than yeah, the, I was you know the ab- abuse and.
1: Yeah, I was diagnosed bipolar during that relationship, Um, and so a lot of the abuse that I was experiencing, again, comes back to I really thought that it was my fault because I I was so chaotic and I thrived on the chaos that it was almost like I needed it at the same time, and then I ended up going on to American Idol when I was with him. And he ended up, well, he had already cheated on me before, but he ended up basically cheating on me and saying, oh, you know, you're going to leave me. And it was the perfect, like, it was just two borderlines in a relationship. Like, yeah, literally, it was run. like, run. He was like, you're going to leave me. You're going to blow up. You're going to do this. And then what's the craziest thing about the whole thing is I had just gotten di- diagnosed bipolar. I go on the show and I'm just nonchalantly talking about like, oh yeah, you know, I just got diagnosed with this, like music helps me with it. I did well. Yeah. <laughs> and then I ended up blowing up for talking about it. Well, it's
0: one of the most famous clips of that of for yeah. you, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah, where it says I just want people to know that bipolar doesn't define who you are. It doesn't. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, and um
0: <clears throat> Do we know the statistic of how many people are diagnosed bipolar? Um, Is there a percentage on that? I'll look it up.
1: I'm pretty sure it's like one in five. Is it that high? I'm pretty sure.
0: Okay, I'll, look, I'll look it up for the
1: yeah for the next episode, the
2: whatever. bipolar episode. I think people are so ashamed to talk about all this stuff, and it's like a big thing for you, especially. What year was that? Like, uh, that was 2011 to 2012. Yeah, I mean, I think you know now. I think it's kind of trendy to talk about mental illness, but oh, for things sure. were
1: so. I mean, so much is still taboo, and especially then. like, Well, it even, I mean, it came out, and then everyone was on Facebook being like, oh, makes sense why Shelby's so fucked up. Like, she's bipolar. She's crazy. But for me, I was like, fuck all of you. Like, I just got on national television, and y'all are still mad because I'm quote-unquote crazy. And then that boyfriend ended up cheating on me with my best friend, and Idol basically like saved my life because, um, I finally felt like I was good enough. It was like, I mean, it's the greatest validation. I'm not
2: crying. Or crying. <laughs> That's so beautiful.
1: <laughs> and then um, I ended up going off my medication because it ended up giving me a lot of side effects. I got sick, and during a manic, I was like, mm, I think I'm gonna move to California. <laughs> and here we are. I think it's so,
2: what am I trying to say? I think it's so important to remember that in all of this, like at least for borderline that it, yeah. Like, I mean, any mental illness or health problems, like it doesn't define you. It's a part of you. Mm -hmm. You don't have to feel, you know, eventually I'm, now I'm like way too open if that's a thing about my borderline, because I feel like nobody knows what it is. And there's so much shame and guilt around mental illness when it's like, Why so many of us struggle, and there's so many more, you know? I'm sure like borderline is technically like they say it's all you know it's women, but I think it's probably because men don't realize what it is, or they don't come forward, or they don't seek help, and it's just like, you know, it's just you're just trying to get your needs met, needs that you don't even know that you have. At least it was for me. It was like I just wanted to be seen, and I wanted to be validated, and I wanted to feel whole.
1: Yeah, and and it all comes back to it doesn't define you but you do start to find identity in it right and it gets it's so frustrating when you know you're you're trying to make cries for help and like this is and that and no one believes you yeah
2: or they're like people i mean i felt like people saw me drowning and they were just like mm. well yeah, I can't fix you.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's like, like I'm not asking you to if they don't understand why you feel a certain way Then it doesn't make sense to them and it it all comes back to what does crazy looks like It's like if you see a homeless person on the side of the street and they're yelling And saying random shit Then you're like, oh, okay that person's mental illness But for me walking down the street and i'm i'm sitting here telling you about what i'm going through and you're still not grasping it unless Like we've talked about, Faye, when she gets sad and like in her zone, she lets her appearance go. You're making everything goes. Yeah, I feel like it's also you want people like to see how you're feeling. Mm -hmm. Whereas for me, it's like I'm gonna try so hard today. I'm gonna dress up. I'm gonna you're gonna overcompensate. Yeah, Yeah. because I don't want anyone thinking that. I'm weak. I know you hate that
2: word. I hate that word. Can we just
1: (laughs) not use... Weak is
2: not a concept that exists. I don't believe in the words failure, should, or weakness. They don't exist. They are concepts. They are constructs. Yeah.
1: The end. I think since I've talked about mental illness most of my life and I've always been open about it, I think that I was like, well, I need to come off as strong as possible.
2: But I think that's where... I think vulnerability makes you strong. I don't think that makes you weak if you, you know, need help or express something. And that's what's kind of, I don't want any of this to seem like, oh, we're victims or whatever. You know, I think it's like, yeah,
1: definitely. you know, yeah.
2: we have problems, you take charge of them. And we're all people that struggle with stuff that like may not be this, but it's something.
0: Well, actually, I'll ask here in a bit, each of you, um, how you specifically deal with an episode that you might have mm. and, and now, as an adult, um I will say though, I did look up the statistics here, and it is a a little over three million uh who are diagnosed in the u s
2: for bipolar, not borderline
0: both about three like one's a little for under, both? one's a little under three million, the other one's a little over three million
2: okay. I mean, and those often like coexist
1: yeah, and mean, that's what
0: and yeah, I was wondering how much of that i'm I don't, i do not know I'm not familiar how much of that does. Overlap in one, you know, which, yeah,
1: I mean, I am release. diagnosed bipolar one and with borderline, yeah, and I have,
2: uh, you know, depression, anxiety, and uh,
0: but that, but, but that's again, those are like, uh, th- eating disorder this is diagnosed like in the sense of like who knows how many or and how, how many I'm people saying. just aren't getting
1: help, help most, for again, it at yeah, all. Yeah, most and I assume, I'd assume
0: most people are not,
2: yeah. Yeah. no, I mean, yeah. people don't, people know what bipolar is, uh, you know, they yeah. might have a like a miss uh You know, a, yeah, you mis- misperception of what it is, but borderline, I find that people don't even. They're like, so what do you take for that? And I'm like, no, no, this is this is nurture, not nature. Like, you have to like rewire how you think. It's not just like you take a pill and.
1: Well, and borderline, is looked at as killers. Yeah, like
2: everything. <laughs> I can't, I can't with this. It makes me so angry. I talked to my therapist about this actually too, because she like responded to a blog that was like talking about borderline and anything you look up like in blogs on you know anything I think it's like women that are like crazy women bitches uh you know femme fatales, like basic instinct fatal attraction swim fan kind of women when okay sure maybe some of that is true there's probably something you know coexisting with that like but it's also like that's not you know com- that's not all of us and that's you know, it's a spectrum.
1: Yeah. We're yeah. not
2: just like psycho, you know, like
1: psychopaths. just like, you know. I think that a lot of us, you know, even if you're not self-aware, you're constantly, it does come back to that shame and guilt. Mm-hmm. It's like you do all of these bad things and you can't control it, but then you, you like crash into shame and you're just like, why do I feel this way? Why am I this way? you're never just sitting here making like doing all these psycho things making these chaotic choices and you're just fine with it right it again and it all comes back to like
2: i feel like at least with me uh, probably you too most of the time the, the times that i i look back and i'm like i used to be like oh my god like why am i doing these things i'm not a bad person and now i look back and i honestly just like feel compassion towards myself that i never had yeah. like i clearly was acting out because I needed certain things from myself and I didn't know how to get them. I didn't know how to ask for them. I didn't know how to work on them. Like if you hate yourself, yeah,
1: you're gonna act out. Yeah, And I think it, it, what you were saying before where being too self-aware people makes it so much harder because it's like, okay, I know why I'm reacting this way. I know um, what the term for it is, mm-hmm. but why can't I stop it? And, but, you know, and I say I was self-aware, but like to a point,
2: right. I look at myself then and I'm like, I wasn't that self-aware. I mean, yes, to a point, but I would cry and be like, I don't know why I'm crying. Like, I don't know why I feel like this. And then in, in DBT, like, you know, you trace kind of like, uh, they, you know, your vulnerabilities basically. It's like all the things leading up to like why you're crying, like, mm-hmm oh, you know, this, 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 and ha- happened. And this was like the thing that broke, you know, broke the camel's back. And then, okay, now I know why I'm crying. And like mindfulness around it. Right. And like true self-awareness where before I think I just, yes, I was aware that something was wrong, but I don't think I had the tools or was really looking inward in the way that I needed to, to actually fix any of it, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. So there's just like one big gaping void where I'm just like, I'm going to fail it with, all of these unhealthy things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Watch it get worse.
0: Can we dive into a, a very specific example of yourself when um you found yourself spiraling in a sense? Because I think that's a, a word somebody used last time. Let me go um, roll text. And then uh Actually, let's if we can do it briefly. I'd like to do one prior to a um the diagnosis, Mm -hmm. and then one after. Okay, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm.
2: You
1: want to go first? I think I have to think on it. Do you want to go first? Yeah, I'll go first. (laughs) Um. Okay. Shelby tweeting everybody. Shelby tweeting. Hello, hello. Um, I have a very specific night. Um, it was right before I was diagnosed, and. It's funny because I take a lot of pictures and I have a picture of me like flicking off the camera. I'm totally normal. Everything's cool. And then. Can
0: we pause just for a second? Because you said <laughs> flicking off what? the camera. Is it flipping off? I don't know. There's. Well, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued. Is is, is flicking off. Uh, yeah, no, no. I've heard it but for, for sure. Is that a regional thing?
1: I don't know. Maybe it's like pop and soda. Do flicking you say- yeah, it off? that's
0: what I'm saying. Yeah. Fl- I say flipping. flipping. What do you say? I
1: say. Flipping
0: off? With peas? Yeah. Flipping? Flipping? Flicking off.
1: Flicking off. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> giving them the bird. I've never thought, <laughs> I've never just, thought
0: about it. It's a giving of the bird. Back in
2: 1942, when I was a hey, youngin'.
1: Okay.
0: Sorry, I didn't mean to stop you. No, it's I was okay. just very in, very, in, very intrigued by like <laughs> flicking off. I haven't heard it, but it's, I'm wondering if it's a regional thing.
1: Yeah, I guess I don't know. Um, but then there's like two hours later. Basically what ended up happening, it was it was super stupid looking back, but it did come now, down to Is it.
0: this, sorry, is this a is this a pre-diagnosis? Prior. Or, mm-hmm. Okay, okay.
1: Um, it's about a month before. And basically I was talking to this guy, and I was like, Yeah, I think I want to kill people. And he was like, No, there's no way. There's no way that you feel that way. You'd never be able to get away with that. And when I tell you the rage mm-hmm. that I felt, that one, you're devaluing my feelings. And that's two,
2: that's nice the stuff I'm talking about that makes everything worse. So. Yeah.
1: Okay. And. Wait, wait, uh- Say that. Say that. Again. That
2: was. That's like the emotional validation that I feel like I that led me to where I am. That's like the worst thing you can do in a scenario like that is be Always like
0: devalue somebody. Yeah, it's like no, no, deep-
2: like you don't feel like that or like that's wrong. Right. It's like, well, I'm gonna
1: uh, I'm
0: zero gonna
1: to do a thousand. all yeah. and that was basically what happened. It was like, because at that point I was like, well, now I need to prove myself. Mm-hmm. Now I need to prove how like. Basically, the other Shelby took over my body. She came out the glass room. I'm in the glass room. Watch out, world. Right. I was, I had my self-harm as I punch walls. So I was literally just punching it until it was like bloody and bruised. And um because that was my way of like proving myself, I think. I needed to like see it on my hand to know that it was real. And then I walked to 7 Eleven to get a hot cocoa because hot cocoa calms me. And shout the out,
0: shout out to 7 Eleven. Oh,
1: I love 7 Eleven. And the guy goes, The guy goes, "Uh, You look really fucked up. Are you good right now? And I was like, No, I'm not good. But thank you for uh, bringing awareness to that the fact that I look fucked up. Thank you so much. So I go back to my house. Wait
0: a second, you you look fucked up in what sense? Like, because my
1: my face was like puffy, puffy. you know, like
0: because you'd been crying and then you'd been punching walls. Right, and And it was the
1: perfect. That was
2: the only time in your life when somebody wasn't like smile more.
1: Yeah, it was the perfect example. (laughs) Thank God, right? Sorry. It was a perfect example of I looked like I had something going on. Like my appearance was you know disheveled and all this stuff and. So it was, it actually was kind of validating to me too. Cause I was like, okay, you're actually recognizing that something's wrong. So I went home and I literally was just sobbing on the floor. I'm like, who am I as a person? I'm looking at myself in the mirror. Now I'm having a conversation with the other Shelby in the mirror. I'm like responding to myself and I'm like, what do you need to do? Do you need to prove yourself? Do you need to kill yourself? Do you need to kill other people? Like, what do you need to do for people to believe this? And. I sent these videos to the guy of me, like, makeup down my face. It's oh, video I showed you of me. Yes. Yeah, we all have those videos. Yeah. And I was like, I can't believe that you wouldn't believe me. Like, look at me now. Like, I'm not this person that everyone thinks I am. And then a month later, I ended up getting diagnosed. And in the last five years since... It's basically been you want me to go into like how I handle stuff now, I'm assuming. Now, it's more it's it's funny because when I talk about self-harm, I'll consider it relapsing if I feel like I need to punch something. And now it's like I have coping mechanisms, I have ways to handle my anger and my sadness, so it's like If someone does that, I have to basically, what you have to do is you have to look at your childhood and look at what are the reasons that I'm reacting this way. And you have to look it dead in the eye and be like, okay, this is not what's happening right now. And there's been obviously points where I have relapsed and I've, you know, felt like I needed to punch something just to feel something. But this last year, especially, you know, I've went through a lot of things and I've had so many people tell me how proud they are of me because I've been able to actually handle it in a healthy way, you know, putting uh, my focus. You,
0: would you like to elaborate slightly? Just general, like not don't get in too deep. But like, yeah, what, what in this last year?
1: Um, well, just like I had a very abandonment situation where this guy I was talking to um, all of a sudden we had never talked about like, we're exclusive. And then all of a sudden he was like, I have a girlfriend, (laughs) which is like the most, any trigger, 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 trigger warning. It was just like, you know, now I'm like, everyone leaves me. Of course, like I'm worthless. You know, obviously he wouldn't choose me, like all this stuff. And it was more, I just kind of sat in the sadness rather than lashing out and turning it into anger and feeling like I need to destroy something to prove how hurt I was.
0: Now, do you feel like you, your uh, reaction was that because of therapy? Do you think because you know what to be looking for? Do you think it was part medication? Like what? I think it uh,
1: definitely was. What do you
0: attribute that to?
1: Definitely was therapy because he, my thing is I've always had such a dedication to looking strong and right to the point that to the point that I was looking back at my childhood and was just like oh it wasn't that bad it wasn't that bad I was refusing to like actually validating yourself yeah yeah exactly I wasn't acknowledging how fucked up things actually were Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and it wasn't until in therapy he was like look at what you've went through and look at what you've overcome.
2: Radical acceptance that like that was your
1: life. Yeah. And so it, it basically, he taught me that if I can get through what I went through as a child, I can get through heartache. I can get through, you know, being cheated on, abused, friends leaving me, anything like that. It basically was I found a way to accept that I'm a lot stronger than I am and not fake strong. I actually am capable of being strong. What, hard. What's hard. What's your before and after?
2: Honestly, I don't know. Like most of my adult life is like most of my life is b- before diagnosis. So yeah, I'm trying true. to like- You're pick. new. You're new. I'm trying to, yeah. I mean, I finished DBT like what? Like eight months ago or something.
0: You came up with something, didn't you? Can I, can I answer post-treatment? Post yes. yes, yes, yes. That's perfect. Yeah.
2: Okay. Because right f- for me, like everything pre was like, I just like, I seriously would like spend a ton of money or, um you know, cheat on everybody or, you know, drink too much or, you know, whatever. And still seem like super high functioning. um But everything was, I was always trying to like be validated by like men
1: mm-hmm.
2: all the time, even if I was like with somebody and I would like go and try to destroy it like on purpose. That was like my main thing. um And also I would like, yeah, get really angry and lash out and just, um, you know, cry hysterically and all that good stuff. Post, I'm going to find a better example because I can't think of one right now because I'm on this body and I'm nervous. <laughs> um, but like post um, DBT and, and diagnosis and treatment, um, the way that I think about literally everything is different. And the thing that has changed my life the most um, is it's the thing we call checking the facts where I feel like a lot of people – Um, borderline, they take everything so personally and they perceive everything as an attack. And checking the facts is like, if two people are walking towards you and they're laughing and they're whispering and they're looking at each other and and they're like, you're going to assume, old me would have assumed they're laughing and talking about me. When the facts are, they're just laughing and walking towards me. It's not about me. And that is the biggest thing that has changed my life is like, 99% of the time, shit's not about you. People are thinking about themselves. It's not personal. And like radical acceptance of like, I am where I am and I'm where I'm supposed to be. And yeah, like I don't, when I spiral, it's usually like I can literally just check the facts on something and I'm like self-soothe. Like I'm like, okay, my feelings are valid, but I don't need to text that person I shouldn't text. I don't need to, like my panic attacks and strong emotional reactions, they last like half as long. Right. It's like 20 minutes versus like two days, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And they do have a really great example of like right when I started treatment, I was having a panic attack and there's this thing called an ice dive where you literally duck your face, you dunk your face in ice because it brings your heart rate down and tricks your body into like not panicking. And this is like what, you know, baby DBT, like this is what you're learning in the very beginning, you know, like now I can do it myself, but like you literally dip your face in ice.
0: That sounds like a form of torture.
2: (laughs) It helps a lot actually.
0: I, I don't doubt it. And
2: I... I'm just like, I'm insanely aware of the fact that like my makeup is like running down my face. I'm crying and I'm laughing at how ridiculous it is. And then my husband walks in the door Mm -hmm. and I'm just like, honey, hello. And it just was like this perfect moment of like (laughs) me trying to get better and how ridiculous it is and how ridiculous like life is. And it's just, we're all fucking struggling and doing the best we can. And I'm dipping my face in fucking ice water. Right. Like it just is so ridiculous to me but amazing i just babbled time. about a lot of things but i just like now i have the no that's tools. a good tech that's
0: a good technique uh kind of ice water
2: i mean i don't use that you anymore know. but for me it's like i check the facts and i radically accept the things in my life yeah. i don't i don't like beat myself up about things and i don't try to change the things that i cannot change
1: right
2: period those are the things that have changed
0: are there, my life so are there other um are there other things that you would recommend outside of dipping one's face into yeah. water that like yeah, that could that be, be super helpful? Because I mean, like
1: yeah, I mean those are the two. C-
0: c- if you're looking just to slow your heart rate down, I mean, like screaming, sc- yeah, can let it all out. Well, I mean, the sure. thing, I mean,
2: this is like a real like thing. Like in the book, um, the woman who came up with DBT, Marshall Linehan, had borderline, and it's because it it like it forces your body, like it tricks your body into thinking you're underwater, and you you have you you have to calm down. Yeah. So I don't, now I don't have to do that and I find other ways. But for me, I don't really, um, I don't let my mind go that far. Like I don't make decisions now from, we call it emotion mind, where it's like, I'm thinking kind of illogically and all in emotion versus like all logic. And then we have wise mind, which is like a combination of both. And what you're supposed to think from is wise mind, where it's like Mm -hmm. logic and emotion together. So... Um, I don't act from just pure emotion anymore, and I stop myself from making decisions when I'm knowing, when I know I'm in that place. I don't get behind the wheel of a vehicle when I know I'm in that place. Um, yeah, and I don't I just like I don't communicate uh, with people from that place. And the other thing we talk about is this thing called Dear Man, and I don't remember what the acronym stands for. Sorry to my therapist. Uh, but it literally is like a way to communicate with people that I feel like has really. I kind of have always done it, but it's a way to ask for things that you need while validating yourself and the other person. Where it's like, hey, um, you know, I know you're out having fun and that, like, I'm really glad you were, but I asked you to text me if you were going to be home later than, you know, 11 and you didn't, and it made me feel like this. So, in the future, like, if you could please. You know,
1: if you could, if
2: you could please let me know, because it makes me worry. Yeah. So it's like, it's validating you, it's validating me and it's expressing what I need versus being like all you statements. Like you stayed out and you made me feel like shit and you, you know, disrespect where it's like, no, that's not going to get anything done.
0: No, we're saying dear man, as in describe, express, assert, Mm -hmm. reinforce, Mm -hmm. uh, mindful, appear, and the N is covered. I don't know what the N stands for. Yes.
2: <laughs> Thank uh, wait, you, Lenny. <laughs>
0: wait a second. Uh, negotiate.
2: Yeah. Like you're negotiating. Like it's like, yeah, if,
1: like it's cool if you stay out later than that. Just please let me know. And the big thing is this. Is
0: a pure confidence. Sorry, I didn't say that the last part.
1: You have to come in. You have to find people that also are actually extremely patient and capable of wanting to know what's going on in your mind. Because I've been in the relationship that feeds my mental illness. I've been in the relationship that ignores it. And I've been in the relationship that they're seriously trying to understand how to help me avoid episodes. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you have to do it for yourself. But at the same time, if you're with someone who's purposely doing things that they know is going to trigger you,
2: even not. I mean, I feel like you attract, you would, people attract where they are mentally, right. like whether or not they know it. Like if you're in a bad mental place, you're going to attract worse people. You just are. And I think that we forget that. Like, you know, I've been in relationships where I'm I'm coming from a really bad place. And like, I think that they're really self-aware and that they know, you know, they're trying to help me when really like, they're probably kind of ill too. Yeah, I think that's also like kind of important to remember. It's like, they also might seem like they're one thing. I'm not trying to, like, Read be the red paranoid. Lights. Yeah, but, like, you know, if I think that some people, you know, also seem like they're going to be good for you, and you think that's what that you, what you need, but what you need is actually very different. I mean, I, I, I my needs are very different than I thought they were. I thought I would, you know, end up with a Chandler Bing, and I think I would murder Chandler Bing. <laughs> so... You know, I think our wants and our needs are very different, like perception versus reality.
0: Exactly. We would tell you to go uh, binge friends, friends, but you, can't, you anymore. can't anymore on the Netflix. You they, really, they removed it.
2: You're really triggering me you right now, Lenny. <laughs> friends is trash. How dare you? Do you want to fight me? You okay, know, Distress tolerance. Uh, Where's my ice? I I'm fine. I don't disagree. The office always actually. The does. office is amazing, but I love Friends. I'm Monica Geller, and I hate it, but I've accepted it.
0: Let's- End on this question that I'm going to pose the two of you, uh, both of you here, and it isn't fully uh, in this topic. It is something that you had touched on, both of you had touched on earlier. Is the fact that you had people around you telling you kind of self fulfilling prophecy type thing, where they're saying that you are this, you are this, and so then all of a sudden you kind of leaned, not that you leaned into it, but then all of a sudden you're like, oh well, if everyone thinks this already then fuck it, you know, I'm going to go to this. Mm-hmm. What would be your advice to somebody who is being told th- these kinds of things? As a person who is told you're fine, hey, look, you're fine, you're fine, you know, or a person says, oh, no, she's she's going to do this regardless, or, you know, that's just how it was said to you. What would be your advice?
1: I think that you really need to cut All the ties to everyone. You need to have this constant bubble around you where it's like no matter what someone is telling you, you need to know for yourself what you feel on the inside. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, constantly, especially now with the media, we're literally being told every day certain things. We're searching for validation from everybody, we're searching for identity, you know, we're pretending to be some people that we're not. And I think all it really comes down to is you know how you're feeling and you know how you are on the inside. You know who you are behind closed doors. No one really knows you besides you. Mm -hmm. And I think you need to sit and really self-reflect on that. And the second you know who you are and you recognize your strengths and your weaknesses, anything that anyone else tells you isn't going is to carry weight. You know, there's
2: a difference between, you know, when you're six versus when you're 17. Like, I think what you're saying is, yeah, you have to block out all the noise, but you have to also have to like, yeah, have some self-awareness and look inside and saying, you know, if people are telling you this and it's affecting your relationships, maybe there is some truth to something. But I think that, you know, you have to look at your behavior and if, if it is negatively, negatively impacting your life, like, look at that. But if people are telling you something and you don't feel like that's true, I mean, if, if, you know, family members or friends call you crazy, like, no, that's not, that's meaningless.
1: Right.
2: Everybody could use a little bit of crazy. Nobody knows you better than you. Like you said, like, I think you have to block out the noise and like figure out what you
1: are, who you are. And again, what you were saying is like, People could be telling you all of these things, but you do need to take accountability. Yeah,
2: some reflection.
1: Yeah, it's like, you know, someone could be telling this 13-year-old like, oh, you have ADHD, you have ADHD. And one, she's going to start believing it. But if that is true, you need to take the accountability and take the steps to move forward. Because I know for me, I was on a date the other day. And like the whole time I'm on the date, I'm like joking about like, oh, everyone thinks I'm crazy. We're crazy. We're crazy. And then at the very end, I was like, you know, I just actually need to say something like I feel like I've taken identity in that, but I also have done the steps to overcome that at the same time. So it's like, yeah, I still have crazy moments, but I am not crazy. So I think the second that everyone takes accountability for the negative influences that they're putting on the world you can move in the right direction. Yeah.
0: And on that, take us out, shall um, we?
1: <laughs> thank you guys so much. Um, it's Thank you so much, Phelan, yes. uh, for coming in and bringing your side of things. Thank you, Lenny. Yeah.
0: yeah. Woo! Woo. Lenny!
1: Woo. I yeah, think you bring in a good outsider's perspective. So yes. we enjoy having yes. you here. Until next week. Humanizing
2: mental illness.
1: Weak is not a concept that exists. I don't believe in the
2: words failure, should, or weakness. They don't exist. They are concepts. They are constructs. The end.
0: (laughs) Subscribe to My Side of Crazy with Shelby Tweetin' on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. My Side of Crazy is an LLA production. That was fantastic. All day Lenny.
1: And cut.